Welcome back to Alpi Parsha podcast. Each week, we take a light dive into this week's Torah portion. We'll look at the Torah portion from a bird's eye view up close and then see how it b- relates back to Jewish life and life in general. As always, I'm one of your co-hosts, Paul Salek, and I'm joined by... Aaron Rotenberg. Hey, Paul. It's nice <laughs> to be back at this. Absolutely. How are you doing? I'm good. Um, I'm just back from bumping around from lots of travels uh, the last few months, really. We've been on a hiatus, listeners may notice, um, probably for many reasons, but one of them is that just other stuff has been up. So I was just uh, in Connecticut at the Isabella Friedman Jewish Retreat Center last week uh, at the Davenin Leadership Training Institute. Shout out if anybody wants to learn how to really improve their davening Jewish prayer reading skills. It's a great program. Um, and I'm glad to be back here in snowy Toronto. In smelly Toronto? <laughs> snowy. Also, oh. probably. But I'm yeah. looking at the window. I just drove back in from uh, uptown in a very snowy snowy weather. You drove in this weather, hey? Like, what were you doing uptown? Um... I both was tutoring a BMITSA student and visiting my mom and brother. So I had some, some business. Uh, some, but that's a, what's up with me. What's up with you, Paul? How have you been this past while or this past week? Yeah, I don't know. Things are just trucking along. I'm trying to think what is new and exciting. Just lots of, as you were alluding to, digging out my car due to snow, which is... Uh, you know, really nice. Uh, some good upper body exercise. And uh, yeah, I think I was uh, mentioning as well that, like a lot of people, I'm very suggestible. And I read that we're all not washing our towels and our bed sheets enough. So as soon as I'd read that, I immediately went to wash my towels and my bed sheets, forgetting that you can't overload these things and now it is all taking much longer than i expected so hopefully i will have bed sheets for bedtime uh but <laughs> such is the life of people who read clickbait articles online so impressionable <laughs> but i hope your sheets come back clean and dry too uh the other thing is that in the month of february Paul and I record a song. So we also recently wrote a song together. And you may not know this, but the intro and outro song to the podcast has been a song that Paul and I wrote in the previous February. So who knows? Maybe there'll even be a new a new intro and outro LP tune. I guess it's, it's, true. it's not written for it's we didn't write it as a LP Parsha jingle, but there is a biblical connection. That's true. We tend to write our songs, tend to. The songs that we write together is always about a woman of the Tanakh, mm-hmm. um, but written in a style kind of like of folk or bluegrass or pop, so as to not alienate our audience in case we want to sell it for millions of dollars. So we're always finding that fine line of uh, things that are meaningful, but still commercially appealing, 
Uh, we want to have the commercial appeal. In case the, the podcast thing doesn't work out, we want to be able to fall back on our <laughs> women in the song. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm always trying to, I know we've spoken about this off the podcast, but I know I always try to hit that Amy Grant notes. Amy Grant, for those of you who don't know, is like a popular Christian songwriter, but her songs are ambiguous, whether it's about love or God. So she can kind of hit both markets like that. Like, hits the religious people, hits the people who want a pop song about love. So it's always good to write ambiguously religious songs that could also be about love. I like um, that. Yeah. It's just like a podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We we try to be religious, but not, not too <laughs> religious. Still kind of bringing it back. Like it says, I keep notes. Like my notes always say, make sure you always bring it back to life at the end so that way if people feel like we're wandering out a little too far we bring it back to just something really relatable you know like bed sheets or traveling to retreats in connecticut <laughs> the weather yeah well now that we've covered the relatable let's jump into the unrelatable the unrelatable parsha the this week we've got such a relatable one. Kitisa. It is um, relatable. It's very rich, I think, as we'll find out in a moment. Lots going on that I might tell you about all in exactly 60 seconds. Why don't you go first then and let me know and I will uh, yell at you when uh, 60 seconds have passed. Uh, let me just... Let's see. Yes. So why don't you go in five? Are you ready? I'm ready. Four, three, two, one. Let's do this. And Kikita, we hear about the final details of putting the Mishka, the tabernacle where God dwells uh, in the desert. Uh, together, we hear about the laver, incense, and anointing oil. Uh, the craftspeople, Betzalel and Oholiav, are appointed. You get a reminder about Shabbat. And then all this is happening when Moses is up on the planet. People are getting so impatient. They can't, they can't just like wait out for all these days with their dear leader gone. So they tell Aaron, Moses' brother, to make a golden calf. And Aaron takes all their earrings, throws them in the fire, and then poof, there's a golden calf. They all bow down to it. Moses comes down. He's like, what have you just done? Gets very upset, shatters the tablet that he came down with. The Levites slaughter everybody. Uh, then God decides not to destroy all the people. God chose God's family. And they have a nice moment. Oh. oh, pretty good. You know, I'm impressed by everything you covered, but uh, let's see how I'm going to cover it in my 60 seconds attempts. And Great. I'm going to give it a go starting now. Lots of details about building the tabernacle uh, was hard for me to follow, to be honest. But I do remember that they do reiterate the piece about Shabbat, which stood out to me. And then God reveals himself at Mount Sinai and Moses goes and he's there for 40 days. But everyone's getting super impatient and they're bored. So they decide to become idolaters 
And Moses is super pissed. And he comes down with his commandments, but the tablets, but he breaks the first batch because he's so angry. Um, and then uh, God's unhappy. Uh, and he says he'll send an angel to the promised land, but then he changes his mind. He says he'll do it. And Moses and God have this repartee. Uh, then Moses eventually comes down with the second set of tablets and also something about Passover, I think, comes up too. And sure. that's my <laughs> summary. Nice okay. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I, I thought yours was great too. Like, I'm. I noticed when I was reading it this week, I was like, the first part was just dragging on for me. But then, luckily, you covered the first one pretty well. So it was very complimentary to me. Um, we can see each other. But this is, yeah, this pod, this uh, podcast, this Parsha, of which our podcast will deal with, is chock full of a lot of stuff. Especially the ending part. All of it. But there's just a lot of big things happening. Let's get into it. I'm wondering, Aaron, was there, I do have one in my repartee, but was there a line that jumped out to you? Oh, the line. No, uh, I have one that I would like to talk about, too. I want to hear it. All right. Uh, the one that I was thinking about, or it's kind of connected to this larger idea, when Aaron makes the golden calf. He like kind of said some of these lines that seem like a bit strange and out of character. Or not exactly, but right? like he makes the golden calf. This is on chapter 32, uh, verse 4, where he takes their earrings and says, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Israel. And then in verse 5, he says, tomorrow will be a festival of the Lord. Right? And like, don't the people know that this is not the God that brought them? Anyway, it just seems like strange things to sort of say. And why is the text telling us that Aaron said these specific things? Why did he say this? Do you have any reasons? I can see what Rashi said, uh, as I'm wont to do. But do you know any kind of interpretations as to why this happens? This is, yeah, these are our sticks. You like Rashi. And I like biblical criticism. And biblical criticism uh, points out, and I think which is very interesting, that this uh, seems like an echo of a story that happens in the first book of Kings with Yerovam ben Nevat. Somewhere in First Kings, Chapter 12, we hear about the kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah are splitting apart. And Solomon's son, Rehoboam, like is a jerk, and all the upper ten tribes succeed, and they choose Yerobam to be their leader. And Yerobam's like, oh, I don't want the people to do pilgrimage to that temple in Jerusalem. They're going to like go back to Rehoboam and they're going to join the Judeans. I'm going to make new temples in the north. And what he does in the temples in the north is make golden calves. And then he said, 
there's going to be a new holiday with these golden calves. And then he says these exact words, this is your God. He points to the golden calf and says, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. This is in 1 Kings 12, chapter, uh, chapter 12, verse 28. And it's like just echoing the redacting one. So I think that the text knew, they assumed that people knew about these golden calves in the northern tribe of Israel and had their like a sign of like rebellion or something like that. And they're recasting it uh, and putting these words in Aaron's mouth and making it do all these things. But it's referencing like a popular historical sort of story that everybody knew. This is part of what I think is going on. That's really interesting. And I do want to make a side note that I don't dislike biblical criticism. I love biblical criticism. My only hard part I have about it is it's so nebulous. Like, certainly we can try to piece together kind of the history of the editing, but it's never a sure thing, you know, versus I feel like I'm almost like making an analogy of psychoanalysis versus CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. Like, um, I feel like when you use commentators, though, like, what did it mean to this person? And how does it mean to different people? Like, we can know what things meant to people. It's kind of like a close reading versus the kind of very historical thing. I just, I think it would always bother me because I don't know for sure. Um, maybe I know we probably covered this before. If you could just remind people quickly what biblical criticism means, like, uh, exactly. Yeah, I just mean thinking about how the text might have come together in a historical way, um, which is, right, it's not necessarily reading it for meaning in our lives, right? It's a little bit more right, historical, intellectual, which maybe you're kind of bringing up. It's like, yeah, it could be a little bit nebulous. Do we know that this is how it historically happened? No, it's like trying to piece it together in a certain way. And for what purpose, anyway? Like, are we studying Torah for to bring meaning to our lives? But I don't know. I somehow feel like drawn to some of these questions about the historical context of how it came together. No, I totally agree. I think the historical is so interesting. I guess I just love the commentary piece more because it's almost like, I guess it's very Talmudic. Like, it just feels like we're in a room with a conversation with, with a bunch of people trying to kind of figure it out together. Um, but I do like a bit of biblical criticism is that it's more neutral to me. I think sometimes obviously kind of various commentators are bringing their own spin to it, which sometimes could have maybe a bit of an intentional bend to it. Um, but you're right. This is kind of almost like, uh, just rereading it here from Chabad.org, my best friend, uh, the English, just one more time, I'll read it for myself. He took them from their hands, fashioned it with an engraving tool and made it into a molten calf upon which they said, these are your gods of Israel who have brought you up from the land of Egypt. Um, I, I, I wasn't aware of the biblical criticism piece, but the way it strikes me kind of just as uh, reading it kind of almost for the first time, it does feel almost like a little bit sarcastic. Um, you know, like with people in movies who are really mean to a religious person, they're always like, where is your God now? That's what I think of. Like, um, like a, well, certainly, it seems weird to me. This is Aaron speaking. Like, 
Isn't that so random too? Isn't Aaron supposed to be pious? Like, uh, how would we understand this? Or like, it's a 180 kind of thing for him. Yeah, right. It seems like the worst thing he could possibly do. But then he still gets to like be totally in charge of the the Mishkan of the Tabernacle. Yeah, like he gives this excuse afterwards, like, "Oh, I just threw it into the fire and it came out. I didn't really do anything." But it seems like a really not believable excuse. <laughs> yeah, the strange story. Yeah, it would definitely keep me up a little bit. I guess maybe it's a little bit intentionally or unintentionally telling us something about redemption. You know, someone who's a major leader within the Jewish people. I mean, I guess everyone is relatively flawed in at least the Tanakh, like as we understand it. So it could be kind of starting out with that kind of uh, moving people away from God and then coming back to God. Uh, But it is kind of a shocking thing to read from Aaron. Isn't he the... Is he the Cohen's? Can you remind me? I'm I'm getting so rusty. Yeah, all the Cohen's come from. Uh, according to how the Torah is framing it, all the priests come from Aaron. There's also so, other ideas of static ideas. There's potentially also historically other priestly lineages, but they kind of get imagined of all coming back to Aaron. Okay, so the all all priests come from Aaron's seed, like they're all descended patrilineally through him. That's right. And it's just funny too, because we always talk about well, we don't always talk about this. But you know, Judaism is very well known for being one of the few matrilineal religions, cultures, nations. Uh I know there's other matrilineal nations, but certainly one that stands out in popular culture. So just interesting that also that this is one aspect that is patrilineal that people might not be aware of. Um, and, yeah. you know, the whole Cohen thing also always, always struck me as kind of like an honor system too. Like, oh, like we trust that whoever says they're Cohen from thousands of years ago, like they are. But with other things, you know, Judaism is much more gatekeepy. So like, I just, I, I just find that really interesting too. Yeah, and there's also like a, a bit of a shift happening. Like probably Aaron was going to be connected to things anyway, but like in this moment of the golden calf, right? It was set up that the firstborn were like kind of mirroring, like the plague of the firstborn at the end of the Exodus story, which we skipped over in our podcast, but. Uh, Right, it's supposed to be the firstborn that are going to be the people that are serving uh, God most directly. But then there's this, like a little bit, the fabric comes apart and people start worshiping the golden calf. And then the Levites, which is the tribe that Aaron and Moses come from, become the people that are also serving uh, in the temple or the tabernacle. So it sort of consolidates in some way, ends up consolidating power and leadership. And Aaron and Aaron's tribe. It's really interesting to me too, because I just feel like um, one thing we're talking a lot about in the working world is a lot of things related to, you'll see where I'm going with this in a second. I have these uh, very meandering thoughts that just come to me in the moment. I do have one other thought, but like uh, people, <laughs> yeah, let's meander. Great word to meandering. Um, 
thinking about people coming together towards God, towards Hashem, and then kind of drifting away in different moments. Like I think about the weekend, you know, we have a two day weekend because it's originally for both Christianity and Judaism to kind of have a place for their Sabbaths. And now I feel more and more that people, as the world becomes more secular, people seem to be more and more okay to sneak in some work time on the weekend. Um, mm. And while I'm not Shomer Shabbos anymore, like I do religiously not work on Friday night and Saturday, very, you know, in a literal sense, I just don't do anything related to commerce towards my job ever. But I feel like that's almost becoming more and more unusual. So it's almost kind of like this thing that is a, almost now an artifact of these two religions. People are kind of drifting away from it a little bit. And how can we, I feel like you're good at this, Aaron, through labor rights, how do we bring back the kind of rest of those things, maybe even bring in a third day of rest for also our Muslim brethren on Friday as well for their time of prayer to a three-day weekend. Like, how do we come back to this peace that came from our religious tradition that now sometimes we sort of start to fritter away from? Yeah, this is, I like this question. And it came from this religious tradition, but I think we feel, I feel that we need it so much. Like, Right, there is this creep of productivity that capitalism is always kind of pushing. And like we need things like for our well-being in the world to like push back a little bit and say, no, actually we need to rest. Actually we need to not be having this creep into all of our time. Yeah, exactly. And we, you know, Aaron and I were at a um Kabbalah class a few weeks ago. Um and I remember them saying, you have to remind me what this concept is that when there's space for something, creativity can come in. And uh, I just think about how boredom is so important to let creativity come in. And Shabbat is similarly so important because it can allow for that creative space. What is that concept I'm thinking of? Uh, this is the concept of Tim Tzum, that God removes God's self for creation to take place. Yeah, exactly. This is also one of my favorite, Paul Torres, that boredom is important for things to happen. I, I, I believe it. Yeah. When I Sorry. go to school and I feel bored, I feel like, oh yeah, Paul would say that this is good. And I have that voice in my head. So You're you're right. I do remember oh my gosh, I forgot I I wasn't I didn't know what you're referring to at first, but I do remember saying that it's great to be bored in synagogue. Um no offense to synagogues everywhere. I love all of you. Well most of you. Um, but like uh i'm happy to go to a place sometimes and be a little bit bored um to be honest i've always wondered too like maybe you can out yourself here for me aaron when everyone's reading the torah silent or the not the torah the siddur silently to themselves honestly i can't keep up is everyone who can read hebrew fluently reading the whole thing or are your eyes glazing over sometimes because i i start and then I'm, i stop right away but like uh for people who are well, quite well-versed in Hebrew, are you really reading it all during the silent portions? I can't speak for everyone, but I do not. Like, I let my eyes, like, move over words. Sometimes I say to myself, well, I'll read the beginning part, and I'll just go at my own pace until we move on to the next thing. But... Yeah, I think I used to feel pressure, like, oh, I'm supposed to be trying to read all of it as fast as I can, but it's just so stressful. And yeah. I even, like, as a, 
somebody who's leading prayer sometimes, I like feel some external pressure of like, oh, I need to keep things moving. But like even moving it along faster than I would want. Like be actually davening or praying. So yeah, there are tensions that are not really most of the places that I go are not really going slow enough for us to say all the words together. And I, I just realized I broke my own rule because I think one of the things I wanted to do in this podcast is to always um, explain things for people who may not know what we're talking about. That oh, that's in, a good rule. Yeah. In traditional synagogues, uh, often we'll say the first line or middle line or an end line together, typically a first line, and then it'll end and we'll all read to ourselves silently. Um, and, you know, for a lot of people, uh, if you go from like a liberal synagogue to a, a traditional synagogue, you might notice that right away that you, you're so used to hearing everyone together. I remember the first time actually, this was probably with you, Aaron, 10 years ago or nine years ago, the first time going from like a liberal setting to a traditional setting and doing Birkat Hamazon, the, the grace after meals. And I was just so used to everyone singing along. And then when this new group of people and everyone's singing for like four minutes and stop suddenly and everyone's muttering. And I was like, what is happening? Like, I thought we were all singing this together. Um, just reminds me, you know, how uh, all of us can feel like a beginner at some points in our lives. So, yeah, I just thought that was really kind of interesting to bring together with Shabbat. I think with leadership, too, it's kind of interesting, too. I think what you said about being a leader, moving things along definitely really relates to this Torah portion. Uh, um, yeah. And just one other thing I want to speculate yeah. on, because I know we have still one or two more minutes. Like uh, on the last line here, I, lo- I, know, I know some translations use the word veil uh, from the very last part of the Torah portion. Then the child, the children of Israel would see Moses's face, the skin, that, the skin of Moses' face had become radiant, and Moses would replace the covering over his face until he would come to speak with them. I just always wonder, like, you never see, I've never seen pictures of Moses with his face wearing a veil or covered. And I just wonder what this looks like, you know? Yeah. Well, it would be not interesting to see Moses with his face. You couldn't see anything. It would just be like, uh, no face. But this is, uh, which, right, there there are some traditions, even in Judaism. It's like more common in Islam, but also in Judaism that you're not supposed to illustrate people's faces. Um, so this could be a good out. But actually, this line that you're reading, right, when it talks about Moses being radiant with light, or his faith radiant with light, it's the word that it uses is karan or radiant with light, or the skin is radiant. Uh, like, this word of rays is actually the same word for horns. So this is why when you do see pictures of Moses, Sometimes he has horns. And it's like mistranslating this Hebrew word. And it's probably like connected to Baltimore. People think the Jews have horns and all this stuff. Because Moses was reading with light and the radiance, the word for rays, uh, connected to horns. I was going to say, Aaron, like, canceled. You just, you're canceled. You, <laughs> I'm kidding. Like, uh, the horns thing, you know, that's so funny. I didn't realize it was actually, like, comes from a mistranslation. I just thought it was connecting Jews to, I guess, kind of pay, 
the pagan god Pan, which I know people also associate with Satan. So, but now I see that I didn't know that there was actually a connection to uh, to translations or mistranslations. Although, uh, but yeah, that's so funny. So I I feel like we did cover a lot of good Torah and life today, talking about what was your focus line again? I'm trying to remember. What did we just talk about? Connecting the golden calf to the golden cow of the year of and the time period of the first temple. Exactly, yes. The golden calf as a metaphor for drifting away from the reason for your faith and then talking about Shabbat as well and how we kind of drift away from the idea of the weekend in the modern worlds. Uh, but if we come back to it, then maybe we can all be radiant again, like uh, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, our teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's kind of a good place to end for all the partial podcasts. The TISA uh, Torah analysis. As always, I've been Paul Saleka. And I'm Aaron Rotenberg. Nice learning with you today, Paul. Great learning with you, too. Mm-hmm.